Hey everybody, welcome to Tuning Fork. It's a podcast about music and the Pitchfork Media hype machine, and I said it correctly this time. Yeah! Woo! <laughs> you did it! I'm very proud that, of you. That either means that I'm paying more attention or that we're recording episodes closer together now. <laughs> it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my name is David. Um, I am one of your hosts. I'm Matt. I'm the other host. And today is very special because we have two experts about this album. Uh, one is a previous guest. Go ahead and introduce yourself. It's the boy with the Arab strap himself, Trevor Rath. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hell of a way to introduce yourself. <laughs> I, yeah. I try, Matt. And uh, fellow Noise Space podcaster. It's Roy. What's up? It's Roy of the Roy. It's Roy of the Roy. I- I'm super excited for this one, uh, mostly because it's an album that I like physically kept myself from listening to back in the day, just because I was that kind of pitchfork guy. Like, if they said something was bad, I was like, well, then it's probably bad. <laughs> And they yes, said this and one was quite bad. Yeah. Yeah, I got very mad about that. <laughs> then and now. We're, we're, of course, talking about uh, Francis the Mute by the Mars Volta. That's fucking right we are. <laughs> Pitchfork <laughs> just doesn't like, or at the very least back then, they just didn't like any progressive rock, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like my, my main uh, Pitchfork association with the Mars Volta is the Bedlam and Goliath, because that was more around, like, the heyday of when I read Pitchfork. Um, that one only got a 4.3. For some reason, I, I remembered it being higher, because I did end up listening to the album when it came out, so it wasn't like I was, like, exclusive. I was just entirely writing it off for Pitchfork's score. There must have been some Mars Volta evangelist in my life that was, uh, that <laughs> I was think pushing it was, me to listen to it. I think it was Julie, um, because I remember when... It probably would have been Julie, Yeah. <laughs> I remember when Amputexture came out, uh, she was like, you have to listen to this, oh my god. Like, uh, we were just, like, on the Lemon Demon forum together, and so <laughs> all we had in common was comedy music, but then suddenly, oh man, progressive rock. Yeah, I just I, I just remember when um, when there was the album that Cedric did with Zach Hill. She's like, I've never heard of any of Zach Hill's stuff, but I know he did an album with Cedric, and then yeah. we were, like, the opposite. <laughs> Yeah, we listened to everything Nuevo. Zach Hills made. Yeah, yeah, El Grupo Nuevo sucks fucking ass. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's just some musicians that just don't seem to to gel together. Which, by all accounts, they should. You would think. I, I mean, like, yeah. Hella basically made a Mars Volta album when they did the one album with vocals. <laughs> they did. Yeah, there's no six 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 in outer space. Could have been a Mars Volta album. That sounds like a Mars Volta song title. Yeah, yeah, and and well, I mean, like it really sounded like the the vocalist on that album uh, was doing a Cedric impression. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I'm just gonna just pop that beeb. Oh. Uh, I'm gonna do that too. Oh, I can join in. Actually, I've come prepared. Oh, I did mine beforehand. I should have saved it. God damn it. <laughs> also, I should say that like thematically appropriate for the album, I'm super baked. <laughs> you gotta be yeah i once saw either on a rate your, like one of my first experiences with this album or hearing about it was on either a rate your music review or i want to say even like a songmeanings.net comment <laughs> that this oh. is the single best album to smoke weed to <laughs> and it was actually the first album i ever smoked weed to oh my god there because you go. of that because of that songmeanings.net comment <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, songsmeanings.net commenter, for your service. You just 
you saw it and you had to try it. We will never repay the debt that songmeanings.net has accrued over its many years of being on the internet. <laughs> songmeanings.net ran so we could smoke up. I've actually never smoked weed. Ever. If you ever any... do it, you sh- if you ever do it, you should do it while listening to Francis the Mute. I mean, I gotta. By the Mars Volta. By um, the Mars Volta, yeah. Roy, uh, mm-hmm. since you have not been a guest on Tuning Fork before, I want to start with you. Yeah. What was your kind of experience getting into the Mars Volta back in the day? Oh, God. Okay, so um, so for, for a time scale reference, um, I started listening to them when I was 16, and I'm going to be 32 next month. So half of my life has been <laughs> Mars Volta related. Um, I f- how did I first hear of them? It was like, oh, no, I remember. I had like, so when I was in the ninth grade, uh, I was in an art class with like just this group of dudes who were like a year or two ahead of me. And they would just talk about music all the time. They were, you know, these big like, I don't know, fucking indie hardcore guys and like, they were all into At The Drive-In, and, um, you know, I would overhear them talking all the time, because it was a small room, I, of course I'm going to hear them, and um, I got into them, and then I got into the Mars Volta from there, and I started listening to Mars Volta, um, it actually kind of took me a while, but I started listening to them, like, maybe about six or seven months before Francis the Mute came out. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's that's where it began. And then between the ages of, like, 16 and 18, it was the only thing I cared about. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. not shitting you. <laughs> you, were, you were talking before about, like, collecting every single piece of Mars Volta media oh, yeah. that you could find. Absolutely, yeah. And and like I said in the Discord, I, uh, I'm i pretty sure I have this copy of Pitchfork at home somewhere, because my mom's kind of a hoarder. Um, and I'm pretty sure we have this issue somewhere in there, if I had gotten the chance to go over there and look for it. Yeah. Yeah. A first for the podcast of I Own the Pitchfork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish, I wish. Yeah, I don't think any of us uh, have the Mars Volta on vinyl, unless, Roy, you do, and you just I haven't do. said so. No, I oh. do, yep. Mm-hmm. Roy, you own this album on vinyl? Yeah. Isn't it worth like $600 or something? I don't fucking know. I mean, I don't have this I don't have <laughs> if you this go album. On, if I you go to... on Amazon, the cheapest you can get a vinyl copy of Francis the Mute for is $600. Well, I don't, I don't, unfortunately, I don't have the album itself. I have Francis the Mute, the single. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, which is the, like, the cool, like, marbled, kind of turquoise-colored one. It whips okay. ass. It's yeah. the title track that got cut from this album because it was yep. too... It, it's already almost too long to fit on a CD. They couldn't fit another 13-minute track on there. <laughs> what are you going to okay, do? Okay, yeah, I'm looking on Discogs right now, and let's see. Let's sort by uh, the lowest price for vinyl. Uh, 230 euros, about $264 hmm. for this album. Hmm. Yeah. Might be worth it. Maybe we're spending some of those Rona bucks on. Rona it's bucks. not an album that was built for vinyl by any means. They, like... <laughs> This album was kind of butchered in all forms of its physical oh, yeah. release, but like on vinyl, I think it got it particularly bad. If right, because yeah. like it's hard to it's hard to set songs per side when the songs are that long. Yep. Yeah. The this last album song wasn't is made over for a any half kind hour of physical long. release. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, Trevor, what's your uh, Mars Volta initiation story? I'm actually coming at this a little differently uh, than Roy because I'm I've never really been someone who's identified as like a particularly big Mars Volta fan or like a Mars Volta stan. I just really like this album more than anything. <laughs> I'm also like pretty into their first record, D Last in the Comatorium, oh, yeah. but I've yeah. never really spent a 
significant amount of time with like their later catalog. But that like more so than like the band itself, this is an album that has always like cast a very large shadow over my music listening habits and like one that I have always returned to and one I've spent a lot of time thinking about for an album by a band that has never really been super important to me. I feel like everybody who I knew who was like who who kind of identified as into cerebral music was into the Mars Volta. Yeah, Mar- Mars Volta was first introduced to me uh when I was like around 16 or so in high school. Uh I struck up like a a minor friendship with this uh guy who played bass in the uh in the orchestra for like our musicals and stuff in high school. He was like a year ahead of me and he gave me like a CDR with like gigs and gigs of progressive rock music on it. I think it's important to note he exclusively played a five string bass. So like he clearly like was that kind of musician. So he gave me all this prog rock and there was like the Mars Volta in there. I think it was, I can't remember if Francis was in there, but definitely D last in the comatorium. And I can't believe you were friends with Les Claypool. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the Mars Volta is definitely music for the the wojack where his brain expands and then it becomes his chair <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i am that, constantly that's what it is. yeah yeah i'm flying around in a hot air balloon made of my own brain yeah exactly <laughs> was uh, was d last on the comatorium the one that you guys covered on uh, fun point yeah yeah so <laughs> roy one of the only people allowed to be on fun point that isn't brooks and eddie themselves uh <laughs> because they they needed a prog expert for oh yeah uh, for oh, well, to, to actually... cover a mars volta album I actually, I wasn't on that episode, but I was the one that requested it. I was on the uh, uh, the Close to the Edge episode. Right, right, right. You're uh, on okay. the one for the Yes album, right? Yep. Yeah. D-Louse in the Comatorium was actually uh, one that got a good re- a good review from Pitchfork. Yeah, and yeah, I, I a lot of people I'm, like that I'm just kind of skimming through the Francis the Mute review right now, and like one of the things that like that that jumped out to me is like. They really seem to accuse people of faking liking D Last in the Comatorium. <laughs> like if you Spider Man pointing at Spider Man. Yeah, if you liked D Laust, or thought so at least, but often found yourself biting your tongue in the company of others, you were probably in the majority. Like mm. the person, this guy is up his own ass. Who wrote this? Can I read can I read my favorite uh Apart from the picture review, it's Absolutely. the first couple sentences. This got a, what, a 2.0 from yeah. Sam Movie, I have in my notes. Uh, he leads with this, basically just like by insulting the fan bases and stuff like, Indian prog rock have a lot more in common than most of their listeners might like to admit. Both are dominated by apostate wallflowers who act a lot cooler and more self-assured than they really are. <laughs> and their artists, despite creating an aura of aloofness, are notoriously defensive. In fact, the terms themselves are generalizations, almost always used negatively. These days, bands are most commonly dubbed prog or indie when their music isn't provocative enough to earn a more individually tailored description. <laughs> Saying that about indie is really fucking rich coming from Pitchfork. Right? <laughs> they like built that genre. Also, also, um, D Lost in the Comatorium was was a was a Brent D. Crescenzo review. Um, What's that it only, one? It what only got a 4.9. Okay. Oh, I'm thinking of the Tremulant EP that got a good review. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Like Pitchfork just does not like the Mars Volta. Oh, well, yeah. I no. think I think D. Laust must have bought this band a lot of goodwill with the public because when Francis the Mute came out, I think it sold like a hundred thousand copies in its first week, and it like good debuted Lord. at like number four on the Billboard charts. Yeah. I can't Damn. imagine that many people buying and listening to this album. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that 
was like this was like Mars Volta was like the the big boys of the mid two thousands like sort of prog explosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it yeah. was that was a thing for a little while. Um, I feel like Coheed and, and Cambria probably yeah, got that same out there. Yeah, there were there was like a a sizable handful of bands that like Dream Theater. Yeah, that oh. were all you know under that Dream kind Theater of- and Coheed were also on that CDR that kid gave me. <laughs> there you go. Of course, yeah. But it was like that was the thing for about five months between 2005 and 2007, and um, they were good months. That, oh, they were good months, and it's like you know that's that's where my music is still. <laughs> I haven't listened to another band since 2006. You're still loving. You're still living those five months. Oh yeah, the that is kind of what this what this show is about is living in a very very specific era of music <laughs> and refusing to move on from it. Why would yeah. I? <laughs> the, the things the things that you listen to when you were between sixteen and twenty are the most important things that you'll ever listen to. It's, it's true. just a fact. Yeah. yeah, like the fact that you both said the, the fact that you both said that you got into the Mars Volta around the age of sixteen is is <laughs> like just a perfect encapsulation of that. <laughs> and that's why uh, they might be giants are still a thing for me. <laughs> ah, gotta love them boys. I'm, I'm a um, fan. <laughs> I've, I've gone on record as being a fan of that band uh, a few times yeah um so uh, with that knowing that it's a clearly a 2.0 um should we go ahead and get into the album yeah hell yeah baby. all right so i i mentioned before that uh because the track list has like who knows how many versions and which ones are correct that I would kind of defer to the experts of the Mars Volta on. I think we're going to have to figure it out as we go along, how we want to talk about these songs. Right. So the first track on the album is called Cygnus dot, 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 Vismund Cygnus. That's what his name is. James Bond, exactly. like a take on that old, that with old four, chestnut. With, with four dot ellipsis, which is important. That's how you know it's a real pause. Yeah. Yeah. I really like when um extended ellipses in song titles, There's like, it's like a thing for me. Like another great one is, um, I think there's like six periods at the end of Introducing by DJ Shadow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I haven't thought about that one in a long time. There's a history of it. So I feel like before we talk about the songs, we should talk about, like, the overarching, like, concept and story behind the record. Yeah, please. Yeah. Guys, like, please elucidate. Do any research into that? Like, Roy, how much do you know about that? I bet, I imagine you have to know some stuff. Uh, don't underestimate how much I know about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, yeah, well, like, I, yeah. I, that, the background of this album is actually, like, by far my favorite thing about it. And, like, the almost the reason why I like it. I think all the music is, like, great and really fun to listen to. But it's, like, the story behind it that always really pulls me back in. Because, yeah. like, I think, like, all the Mars Volta records are concept albums. I, I don't totally know. But this one is, like, really conceptual and, mm-hmm. like, tells a story and is based on, like, kind of real things. I think a good place to start is with uh, uh, this 
guy who used to be in the band. Let me, I actually don't have his name in my notes. Let me look Jer- it up Jer- real quick. Jeremy Jer- Ward. Jeremy Ward, yeah. yeah. Jeremy Ward. He was like an, he made like soundscapes for the band in their early yeah. days. And he actually, he, uh, sorry, he was like the, he was like the human effects rack of the that's band. That's a good way to put it, yeah. yeah. Um, and he was also like, uh, the two main guys in the band, Omar Rodriguez Lopez and, uh, 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 Cedric. Cedric Cedric Bixler Zavala Bixler yeah um he was like their their drug buddy they would all do heroin together and like a week before the last of the Comatorian came out Jeremy Ward overdosed and yeah. so obviously like his death cast a big shadow over this like recording this album and mm-hmm. it's based and they decided to make the album based on this thing that happened to Jeremy before he was in the band when he was working as a repo man. Uh, one day he was repossessed like this is like a big legend behind the album. One day, supposedly he was repossessing a car and he found a journal in the back seat of it. And as he read through it, he started to notice that like a lot of the stuff in the guy's life who wrote it paralleled his own, most notably uh, that they were both orphans and they were, like had both searched for their biological parents. And so the Mars Volta like basically took the contents of this diary and turned it into Francis the Mute. Like all the song titles are names that they picked out of the diary. Interesting. Okay. Yep. Did Real they ever find stuff. the guy? I don't think they ever found the guy. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. like from the journal, he was real troubled and like had a lot of problems going on. Oh, uh, but like imagine being that guy and like, hey, check out this cool new album by the Mars Volta. And then yeah. it's literally just your fucking life written out. That'd hey Cygnus, check this out. <laughs> so, hey Cygnus, yeah. we got this new sound you're looking for. <laughs> It's, it's me, your cousin, cousin Marvin, Marvin Cygnus. Cygnus. <laughs> <laughs> and so not only does it have like a weird backstory to it, but it's a concept album and it tells us like a story itself. And I have like a pretty succinct summary that I'd like to go through. But beforehand, I should probably throw up like some content, content warnings for like sexual oh, yeah. assault mm-hmm. and violence against women and maybe like sketchy depictions of gender identity crises uh, written by cis dudes in the mid-aughts. So, like, the album, uh, the titular character, Francis the Mute, is this sex worker whose services are regularly contracted by high-ranking members of a Catholic church that has a lot of influence in, like, a small town in Puerto Rico. And eventually, one or more of the priests uh, impregnates Francis, after which the clergy conspires to murder her and her unborn child. Uh... And, then, and they succeed in killing Francis, but her son survives, and he is brought by Francis's sister to the United States mainland, where he grows up in an orphanage. And then the album begins when Francis's son, Visman Cygnus, is about 25. Like his mom, he's also a sex worker, he's also a drug dealer, and over the course of the record, uh, we follow him as he tracks down members of his biological family in an attempt to learn more about his birth mother. He eventually locates his aunt, Elvia, who directs him towards his grandmother, Miranda, who's still living in Puerto Rico. And after speaking with them, he learns that his mother was one of 25 women that was murdered by the church. Uh, and then he embarks on a quest to, like, get revenge on his mother's killers. Now, uh, now and- in 2020, the, the concept of, you know, the Catholic Church's, all, like, the whole sex abuse thing in the Catholic Church is, like, pretty well known and spoken about. Like mm-hmm. pretty constantly. I mean, but I feel back like it was at that time too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like you know, and I feel like as I grew up, like that stuff was really breaking more and more. So it was like a, yeah. it feels like a timely topic for them to be uh, yeah. tackling. Mm-hmm. So anyway, as he learns more about his mother's murder, uh, he develops a complicated relationship with his gender, 
and he begins to associate being male with rape and violence, uh, which leads him to develop a female alter ego named Cassandra Gemini, which is a persona he assumes when he enacts his revenge on the priests that killed his mother. He goes on a killing spree, kills 25 priests, uh, one for every woman killed by the church. And there are a lot of interpretations of the story that also say Cygnus is HIV positive and that he like kills the priests by raping and transmitting the disease to them. And there are also mm-hmm. interpretations that say the murder conspiracy is all a fantasy resulting from his heavy drug use. And unbeknownst to him, his mother is actually a widow who frequently hires him for sex work and who dies after contracting HIV from him. Yeah, about oh, the interpretations boy. you were talking, you, you were talking earlier about how uh, both of you actually were talking about how you were on uh, like the Mars Volta forums back in the day and oh, yeah. how probably these interpretations were a fly in back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was I, like I was big on the uh, I was well, I was a big time lurker on the forums um, yeah. back then. It's like, you know, around around 2004. Um, and it was like kind of. It was weird because it was a lot of speculation back then. Like, there wasn't, you know, right. nobody, none of the band members would talk about, like, what the actual story was. They would mostly give and, the, the backstory. And the and, lyrics are impenetrable. Like, ex- it's yeah, just they are, yeah. psychedelic nonsense that Cedric came up with pretty much on the spot. Yeah. And, like, oh, yeah. while the narrative is all in there, you mm-hmm. really got to dig through it and do some, like, serious, like, interpretation and stuff like that to see what he's saying. Yeah. Gets the people going. Oh, yeah. Gotta make that brain big. <laughs> yeah, like um, in- instrumentally speaking, the the album starts out kind of uh, in like a gentle acoustic uh, section, um, the first forty five seconds or so, and then you get like the big prog drop that happens. <laughs> and, Definitely uh, one of my favorite parts on the album. I love that it like betrays you with its like volume mixing. Like a the, little bit, yeah. <laughs> the first part of uh, Cygnus is so quiet, that like first opening movement called Sarcophagi. Yeah. Uh, and then like once the second movement hits, like they fucking put the pedal to the metal and like it's immediately this super fast, really mathy tempo with Cedric screaming over it. And it's like you just got like pushed off a building or something. Like a pterodactyl. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love I love dynamic range. All my homies love dynamic range. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. the, the moment of the drop was exactly when my gear shifted back into alignment because I just took put my tire back on my bike. So there was like a nice satisfying physical click when the beat dropped, <laughs> which was pretty fucking sick. Hell yeah. I, I, I listened to this whole album while either biking or recovering under the shade of a tree because I am too out of shape. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> this this album is, 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 is in my brain entirely attached to the physical concept of pain continue i mean it starts the lyrics saying like prepare to suffer so yeah, yeah I think that I think works they, really well i think cedric was onto something i really like that opening super quiet part though because i feel like it's like a good quick microcosm of like how cedric is going to like talk over the course of this album and like how he's going to convey meaning like mm-hmm. it goes the ocean floor is hidden from your viewing lens adept perception languished in the night all my life I've been sowing the wounds, but the seeds sprout a lacrimal cloud, which is all like nonsense. But like, if you really look at that, it's like, you're going to be told a story that's going to be really hard to understand. And it's going to be a real fucking bummer. Let's go. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I do love a good album that is extremely sad sometimes. Yeah. And this one is like, you know, straight up tragic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's up there. Um, 
I yeah, I, this is like the first. You, you, they get you started right away with the knowledge that it's going to be switching back and forth between English and Spanish. I don't know, like, because mm-hmm. I'm not as familiar with the band as you guys are, um, like how much of a thing that is for them. But it's a um, pretty big thing. It yeah, it really caught me as like a good a, a good use of the language and kind of a way to keep my attention. Mm-hmm. And it's also yeah. a cool way to convey like different perspectives shifting and different characters speaking. Mm-hmm. I think like each of the songs is like supposed to be from the perspective of the character it's named after. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't speak anyone, any Spanish, uh... so it's it's <laughs> for me. It's just like oh, it sounds cool. <laughs> Preparing for this episode was actually the first time I decided to like go through Genius and actually like look at all the Spanish translations and stuff. And there's some really cool lyrics in there. Yeah. Has anyone <laughs> dug through the uh, the Genius annotations for these songs? Um, I have, but like the the one thing just. Real quick, one thing that I like about the Spanish in this song is that it's, like, kind of very basic grammatical structure, and that's because, like, despite being, um, despite being Latino, despite growing up in El Paso, Cedric, uh, doesn't, you know, isn't super fluent in Spanish, so he would, he talks in interviews about, like, calling his dad up on the phone and, like, asking for translations of these things, and his dad having to help him with it. So oh, shout out to that. Cedric's dad, yeah, <laughs> for helping with the Spanish. Yeah, just like looking at the at the the start of umbilical syllables there, it that looks like a Spanish worksheet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just like it's it's very simple, like three word sentences. Mm-hmm. Especially like looking at it on uh, on Trevor's listening guide because it's like it's it's next to the it's right like above and below. There's the Spanish mm-hmm. and then the English. Yeah, yeah. It's um. I I grew up going to a uh, a bilingual Catholic church, and so like I I can kind of get the gist of any given Spanish that I look at. Um, but it's definitely yeah to the point where I would need to call somebody who is actually a fluent speaker if I wanted to actually write <laughs> lyrics that didn't sound like I was uh, like an Using elementary Google school Translate. student asking yeah. where to find the bathroom. <laughs> And the crazy thing about uh, Cedric going back and forth between Spanish and English on this album is that even when he's singing in English, he's really not making like a lot of like he's not saying things that make sense in English. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the words are English. You know, my nails peel back when the taxidermist ruined goose step to the freckling impatience and all the brittle tombs, 500 little cues. I'm splitting hairs to match the faces. That might as well be in a different language. It's normal <laughs> shit that you say. This is this is something that Dale Cooper hears when he goes into the Red Room. <laughs> this whole album is super Lynchian, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, like, 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 the, like the whole general only... thesis of Twin Peaks is the cycles of violence. Yeah. And that, that's the same thematic well that this is pulling from. Not only in subject matter either, because like... A big thing that David Lynch does with his movies is like more like important than like the scenes meaning things is like his his optimal goal is to like make you feel something from mm-hmm. like the stuff he's putting on screen. And here like Cedric is writing and the band is playing in a way like it's a like it is a concept album and there's a story, but they're not telling the story. They're just giving you things that like elicit the emotions that you're supposed to be getting from these beats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At about the the eight and a half minute mark, we uh get a nice four and a half minute uh, instrumental segment um, before we move on to The Widow. Without an answer. 
which is I I've heard it called the the pop song of this uh, of this album. It's the closest thing like this album has to a single, really. And even yeah, on the relatively. single release, they had to like cut off a bunch of the ambient noise that like takes up the last couple minutes of the album version of the song. Mm-hmm. It yeah, it's definitely something that uh, sounds a little bit more similar to kind of like the alternative rock or alternative metal that you were hearing in the mid 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. I I could easily hear this on like an alt rock radio station in 2005 or like I could, I could picture seeing the music video for this on MTV too. (laughs) I remember. Yeah. I remember they like premiered. It was like a commercial for the, for the album. And it was going to have, like, a snippet of of The Widow on it. And I remember staying up until, like, 11 or midnight or something on MTV2 because that's where they were going to play it. <laughs> and, like, just waiting for this maybe six-second clip of it to hit. Oh, my God. Commercials for albums are definitely, like, one of the weirder relics of the way music promotion used to work oh, yeah. that I remember. Oh, yeah. The, the last album commercial that I remember seeing, I think, was for Radiohead's In Rainbows. Um, because oh, they I remember had... that commercial too. Yeah, I was it the one? one? We might be talking about the same commercial. Was it the one with the hands that were like constructing the uh, the album uh, yep. jacket? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was set to fifteen step. Yep, yep, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. it. Yep. Yeah, I remember seeing a lot for Good Apollo. I'm Burning Star Four back in the day. Okay, which I don't. I, I, I recognize the title of that album. But oh, that's, that's, a, that's a Coheed. That's it's the big Coheed album. Yeah, oh, 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 yeah. With like the suffering on it. And Welcome yeah, my, Home. My, my sister-in-law is a huge Coheed and Camarilla fan. So if she listens to this uh, podcast later, she'll probably punch me. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. The Widow's a good track, though. Never really been one of my like big favorites on the album. I think it's kind of hard to compete with like the more extended, spacier, more ambitious, like, 12 minute songs but like yeah. the widow holds its own one of the I was, coolest things I was about enjoying it, it is fine when i was listening to it but the second that uh that elvia started i was like oh now this is my shit right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one Were of the there... coolest things about the widow is that it has a uh, flea from the red hot chili peppers playing trumpet on it yep yeah i <laughs> i was Fuck looking right. at the i was looking at the band members uh graph on the, on wikipedia <laughs> And just, you know, scrolling down, C- Cedric, Omar, John Frusciante was in there for a little bit. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Um, John Frusciante plays uh, two guitar solos on Elvia Elviacas. This yeah. album has and then two Flea members of the Red Hot Chili Peppers on it. How many albums can you say that about? <laughs> <laughs> um, Mostly just Red Hot Chili Peppers albums, if I think about well, it. Well, no, because those albums all have more members of the Red Hot Chili Peppers on them. It'd be weird if they only had two. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> this um, album is very unique. Yes. Yep. Is Beto work on this album? <laughs> Cedric did cancel Beto, so I know. I know. <laughs> Denounced I, in the comatorium. That was so good. God. <laughs> that seems like an eternity ago, but it was definitely only a couple months ago. Yeah. Yes, man, love it. Yep. Were there any music videos for this album, or really any Mars Volta? There were this. Uh, the widow had a video, and uh, there was like a four-minute cut of Elvia that they did, and that had a video, and um, it was kind of a cool video because, like, what they what the Mars Volta was doing at the time was they in a lot of their merch art and stuff they used a lot of the um, they used a lot of Max Ernst's art, so they took some stuff from his like collages and they would use that, 
And the video that they made for Elvia was like a lot of those, and it was just kind of a like a um uh they they kind of had them move like paper dolls. It was kind of cool. We should uh we should talk about the next song. We should talk about fucking Elvia. <laughs> yeah. This is frequently like my favorite track on the album. I think it's like a really strong one. Oh yeah, like e- even even I, who was like n- maybe not so like engaged the first time that I was listening to this album, um, like I got to this one and I was like, yeah, okay, I, I get it now. It simply whips ass. I was fully about to pass out under a tree next to an <laughs> elementary school, and then this track came on, and I felt like I'd been hit with an adrenaline shot, and then I started biking again. <laughs> That's what yeah, happens. It's 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 really good. I love the way like Cedric and Omar kind of like make room for each other in this mm-hmm. song. Like Cedric will scream like Elvia, and like then like Elmar will do the little like guitar flourish like and that'll stop yeah. before Cedric comes back in. It's like they're taking turns doing leads with their respective roles in the band. Yeah, they do seem to be very in sync with each other, which mm-hmm. I feel like I guess you kind of have to have in a band with like this kind of complexity in the music. <laughs> the way, like, these songs are written is really interesting, too, because, like, uh, from everything I read, I get the impression that Omar is kind of, like, the leader of the group. Mm-hmm. And while a lot of these songs were, like, birthed from, like, improvisational uh, experimental jams, he actually, like, got all of the band members. He, like, would sit down with them uh, individually to hone the parts out, and they would focus on playing the parts, like, as slowly as possible over and over again before then taking them up to the speeds they would record them on the album and like these are really fast songs. Oh, so just I like the imagine. rap, just like the rap from One Week by uh, like Ed Robertson's rap on One Week. He did it slow. <laughs> Is that the how they time. recorded that? <laughs> that's how they did it. The, that's how he learned the rap. So there's He's actually like, zero. There's actually zero difference between the Mars Volta and Bare Naked Ladies. Absolutely you imbecile, no you fucking moron. <laughs> yeah, Flea was in both bands, so it's fine. <laughs> Sorry, I just I thought that that would be a very funny incongruent thing to say, and that's that's it's I very said good. It. Both it's of them, good. both of them have uh, guest appearances by the Cokie of Puerto Rico. <laughs> <laughs> I, now, now I'm just imagining like the Mars Volta um, going to like the AV Club and participating in the undercover the undercover series. <laughs> yeah, what, what if it was the Mars Volta doing "In the Air Tonight" by Phil Collins? Oh, that would rule. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like yeah. Cedric's their, their voice, drummer could handle it. I feel the like drummer uh, could handle it for sure. But also, oh, just like the vocoder effect on Phil Collins' voice is just what Cedric sounds like anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they're big Genesis fans. Why the fuck not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. except for really the well. except for the one part on this song where he just sounds like a bee. <laughs> oh yeah, he does it on this song, and he does it on uh, at the start of Cassandra Gemini. They just put like a vo- like a warbly effect on his voice, which was earnestly making me nauseous like it sounded really cool but it was making me nauseous <laughs> oh my god i had to yeah. take one yeah. of my earphones out oh no that's during like the like samba piano choruses right he gets like his voice gets really whoa, row and whoa, low whoa. and raspy and it sounds very buzzy that's like yeah one of my uh, favorite parts of the album mm-hmm. yeah it's cool it does it very much sounds like a b and it made me want to throw up 
<laughs> but it's not a negative. That's just that is the physical reaction my body had to hearing it. It gave me the tummy. I like it. It gave me the tummy. <laughs> it was like it was like toppers. You're coming up. <laughs> oh. And then he ate pepperoni pizza. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so on yeah. the lore, this song is about Elvia. Yes, this is about uh, Cygnus's aunt, who he tracks down. Uh, she changed her name after moving to the United States. That's why the first lyric is Elvia. Your last name has changed. Um, pretty, pretty, like pretty classic, like noir scene of like the protagonist tracking down like the first like witness you want to say, and mm-hmm. like getting some crucial information that sends him to Puerto Rico, which is where the next track starts up. Yep. Only the only the dress remains. I've washed the blood away. And like I said, I really love the chorus of this one. That blackmail she fell off every mountain sequence mm-hmm. of like the yeah, very samba cool. e piano. I yeah. like the way they drop in like a field recording of like what sounds like a packed club or something over yeah. the last time it comes in, and they really just kind of like the for the last iteration of the chorus like the music stops and it's just Cedric singing and he sounds like so weary and it's really yeah. Good. I was mm-hmm. noticing that the chorus uh, kind of kind of subverts your expectations. Like you expect the chorus to be the the big bombastic part of the song in any given song, but like the verse is what does that in in this song, and then the chorus kind of falls back. An inter- mm-hmm. Another interesting thing I think that I've always liked about the relationship between this song's choruses and the verses is he's singing Spanish over the verses, which are kind of like a more Western version of music, but then the like. Uh, the chorus gets like, like I said, really samba with like a Spanish influence. And over yeah. that he sings English, which mm-hmm. is like a really cool way to kind of like express like this character, maybe like having his like feet in two different worlds or something like there's some like kind an of identity cool di- crisis duality almost. thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's very neat. Yep. <laughs> half and, of um, me is Prague. The other half is samba. I am samba <laughs> Prague. <laughs> there are well, two like, Mars Volta have always you. been like a cool combination <laughs> of like Prague and like post hardcore punk, which like, aren't two things you typically see married together. Yeah. And um I mean that's that's more of what mm-hmm. the at the drive-in was like, wasn't it? Aren't they more of a hardcore thing than Yeah, this? yeah they were they were more straight post hardcore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know exactly one song by At the Drive-in and you can probably guess which one it is. <laughs> probably the same one I know. <laughs> does it have anything to do with scissors? It does. There we go. <laughs> only one only How one arm arms, though. <laughs> <laughs> Just the one. Yeah. Yep. I got real good at that one on expert base. <laughs> um, there one one other thing that I think is really cool about this song is that um, you know the the we kind of talked about how it goes into the like packed club sound and how we transition from this song into the next one where we go you know to Puerto Rico um, and throughout this song we have the cool little piano and that's actually uh, played by Lenny Harlow. Um, Make sure I got that right. Not a member of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> One of the few guest musicians who's not a member of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, yeah, he was like a big samba pianist who was like a real exactly. like hero of Omar's, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. Larry Harlow. Oh, that, right. That's good shit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it kind of it kind of gets more and more prominent throughout the the song. So like towards the end of it, it's it's very it's much louder than it had been you know earlier on, and it's really it's just I like it. It's good to me yeah I'm, I'm not surprised to learn that was played by like a legend in the genre because it probably is one of my favorite instrumental contributions to the album yeah oh yeah he's still he's still alive age 81 larry harlow 
get going. Legend. Yeah, legends only. Then uh, we move on to um, track three, which is Miranda, that ghost just isn't holy anymore. Or shout out to City Girls Make Do. As I spoke with Miranda, I couldn't help but wonder, is that ghost just not holy anymore? Send. (laughs) Shout out to City Girls Make Do. Yeah, This is kind of my least favorite uh, track on the album, although there is like a lot of stuff that I like about it. Mm -hmm. It opens with this like four minute movement uh, called Vare Mikam or Go With Me. And, like, a lot of that is devoted to just, like, field recordings of these frogs that are native to Puerto Rico. And that's yeah. really the only thing they do to convey that, like, the story has shifted to Puerto Rico, which is, I think, a really cool example of, like, what I like so much about the way this album conveys information. Yeah. Like, the closest, mm-hmm. like, parallel I can think of uh, in media is, like, the, are you guys familiar with, like, the Dark Souls games? <laughs> are you saying that this album is the Dark Souls of music? <laughs> Unfortunately, Dave, I am saying that this album is the Dark Souls of music. It's a thing I've it, it said just makes, for years. It just makes me think of um, when anime when anime uses the one loud cicada noise. To yeah, say it's it also a lot like that. Yep. Yeah. But something that the Dark Souls games have always done is that like those games have a lot of lore and backstory behind them, but they like don't actually actively convey anything about it to you in the games. Like you get a little bit from the dialogue, but mainly if you want to follow along with the story. You need to like just pick up environmental cues and like read item descriptions and kind of piece together what's going on. Yeah, and I wish fro- more media and, like, was like this. Yeah, and like these frog noises really are like the equivalent of a Dark Souls item description or something. <laughs> like, oh, these frogs only appear in Puerto Rico. We must be in Puerto Rico. Yeah, but the thing is, like, they're very, they're so, they're so ubiquitous to Puerto Rico that like if you're Puerto Rican, you're gonna know right away what that is. Um, so it's and and Omar is Puerto Rican, so I can see him immediately being like, you know what? If we're gonna convey Puerto Rico sonically, let's get some fucking frogs in here. We need the frogs. Bring in the Give frogs. The fro- yeah, and these frogs are y'all. Can y'all go to the Wikipedia page for these frogs because they're so small. I, I <laughs> gotta see again? these guys. They're so small. Just look up Koki. Koki frogs. Yeah. Just scroll down Koki. a little bit. They have one compared to a penny. That is a very small frog. <laughs> it's a tiny frog. Yeah. That frog, is, that frog is sitting on a penny. Oh, this frog is sitting. <laughs> tiny frog, big noise. Oh, they're so small. Yeah. I love these little guys. David, can you post the one of the penny um, to the to the Twitter? I mean, I guess I can. I, I also have access to it. Or do I? Do you, I was going to say, I, might I, don't, not. I, don't rec- I don't recall if I gave you that or not. The thing is, is that you can only have five Twitter accounts, and yeah, mine are mine are filled up with other ones. Yeah. So please post the penny frog. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just okay. I I did it. Yeah. So yeah, this song starts with the frog samples. It goes into this like weird ambient soundscape that kind of sounds like the uh, part of two thousand one, a space odyssey, where they first see the monolith, <laughs> and then it like about like 
four minutes in, they finally get to the actual song, which is called Pour Another Ice Pick and is mainly about like uh, the church driving Cygnus's grandmother into hiding after Francis's death. Through an ice pick of abscess reckoning is just a sick lyric to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were a lot of lyrics on this album that appealed to me as like a semi-edgy like 16-year-old who was into like psychedelic imagery and stuff. Yeah. Francis the mute, but every time they say ice pick, it gets faster. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of ice picks in the next track, which we'll get to. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember. Uh, so this album came out like, I think, February 2003, 2004. Um, something like that, February or March, and, like, a few weeks or a month later, I went to, um, uh, Victoria, B.C. to check out a college, um, because I wanted to go to school there. Uh, didn't end up doing that, but, um, this was, like, the only thing I was listening to because it had just come out, and we had to take a ferry from Seattle, and, um, I remember listening- ferry. Yeah! And I remember listening to this- I get so- I got so nauseous on it. Oh my god. <laughs> Because it sucks fucking ass. Because somebody was talking like a bee the whole time. <laughs> I mean, there were there were maggots raining from all kinds of styes, but um, <laughs> but it was you know we we're we're in this ferry and it was like kind of gray out and I just remember like like that the image of like being on the water and just those gray skies and like just the gray water is always like tied to this song for me. Mm-hmm. It just feels like it's 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 very two fingers wrapped together gesture gesture for me. So that's what I always say. It's very it's very atmospheric. It's probably you know say what you will. It's probably the most atmospheric of all of the songs on this one. And for for an album full of uh, atmospheric songs, yeah, you really can't like get a better oceanscape than that. Like you get, right? you, get you get some pretty good views of mountains on that ferry. It rules. Like I was so- mostly like looking at my own feet. <laughs> trying not to throw up but <laughs> but between that <laughs> but between that it looked really nice out the window between the yarting yeah <laughs> the, this is track four of five and i was noting earlier in discord that uh i i found that they uh only split up the the fifth track cassandra gemini into multiple tracks i think Because otherwise it would have been classified as an EP and they would have been paid less. Yep. I could talk for like an hour about this. <laughs> <laughs> like, so like I imagine yeah, that's like, the same reason why it's split up on Spotify. Yeah. Because you're paid per stream. But the it's way... Just like, it's so stupid. Yeah. I think on Spotify there are actually two versions of the album. There are on Apple Music. There's one where it's just the five track version and Cassandra Gemini is a whole half hour. And there's one that's like the CD pressing where Cassandra Gemini is cut up into eight different sections. Let's yeah. talk about that, though, because Cassandra Gemini is actually only five movements. Yeah. Yeah. And the you f- see the five movements very clearly titled on the back of the CD. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are Tarantism, Plant a Nail in the Naval Stream, Famine Pulse, Multiple Spouse Wounds, and then a reprise of Sarcophagi. Yeah. But on the seat, like, 
if you put this, I remember, if you put this uh, CD into your computer in iTunes back in like 2006, you get what the Spotify version of the album looks like. Uh, eight Cassandra Gemini tracks yeah, with like wildly different titles, some of which are actually named after movements in Miranda that goes just isn't holy anymore. That yeah. shit so it's, made me so fucking mad. <laughs> it's a real fucking mess. And I can't, like, why was it done like this? I can understand, like, you know, this sucks, but I understand the label going like, oh, if you, if you only give us five tracks, we're only paying you for an EP. But then why didn't the band go, okay, let's cut these songs up along their natural movements so we can have an actual, like, 12-track right. album? This, yeah, brings yeah. Me back to my, this brings me back to my early... Uh, last FM days with my like <laughs> correct tags rage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. The only the only All the versions thing of I green can... typewriters. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I could think of like why they might have done it is because like maybe they like I don't know like went like full Joker mode and were like if we're gonna ruin it <laughs> let's really ruin it and like it'll be this like timeless like atrocity that it happened to this track. <laughs> well, I mean, mm-hmm. let's let's get into this. Is is Cedric Bixler Zavala the Joker? <laughs> he might be the Joker. He could be the Joker, baby. <laughs> I, yeah, I got the CD version because, well, that was the easiest one to find. And yeah, just eight tracks. It's eight tracks, Cassandra Gemini, which is very strange. Um, some of them make some sense. Like the the, repre- the, repre- the reprise of Sarcophagus is 54 seconds and it's right at the end. So that one makes yep, sense. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's one then, of the natural breaks. But then before it is a 46 second track. Which is yeah. just one part of multiple spouse wounds. Yeah, and it's just it's like, a funny joke he's playing. Yeah, it's a weird. It's a weird like. It's basically like the fade out portion of that movement. Um, and of, I was listening to this using uh, Google Play Music on my phone, um, which is incapable of doing seamless track breaks. <laughs> so it yeah. became really obvious that the uh, the movements weren't really in uh, weren't really cut in natural places oh, by God. when the track would skip slightly. <laughs> I remember when classic Diff. iPod software introduced gla- introduced gapless playback, and like teenage me was like, "Oh yes, I can listen to music finally." Yeah. <laughs> that was a big moment. Yeah, because yeah. like the the switch from um, track one slash uh, the end of Plant a Nail on the Naval Stream into uh, the second track, aka the first part of Famine Pulse, whips so much ass. Like, what else can I say? Also, uh, I think I've figured it out that when he says, I think I've become one of the others in the beginning, he's saying that he thinks he's become one of the Jokers. So there you go. He says he's, right, he's becoming one of the others blue, as in Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh! He's have to, he has to fight his own Khaleesi. There you go. Jeez. He, he dances down the stairs to this song. For Khaleesi a half hour. Gemini. Yeah, and then the stairs turn long blue staircase. below him. <laughs> it's Khaleesi Gemini. It's Khaleesi Gemini. Well, it's my new display name. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all don't mind? Perfect. I, I don't. 
How do you guys want to like talk about this song though? Because <laughs> I'm literally just like looking at your listening guide, being like, "Where the fuck do we start?" <laughs> what I did was I took the uh, versions of what I did is I took like the on Genius, like it breaks it into the it has the timestamps for the half hour version, but I decided to map that onto the eight version, eight track version that's on Spotify. So as you can see, like track five, you're braver than any 40, U.S. Marine. Yeah, yeah, I really am. People don't people don't say that enough. So the first one, track five, the first 40 seconds of that are devoted to Tarantism, which is basically just like this super fast part by the band and Cedric screaming that he thinks he's become one of the others. Then that goes into Plant and Nail in the Naval Stream, which starts with that like, again, like very buzzy kind of vocoded spoken word, Tom Waitsy kind of sounding thing. Bees. Uh, that ends with Bees. <laughs> uh, uh, she was a mink hand job in sarcophagus heels. I love that line so much. She, well, very good line. That whole oh, yeah. section is very fun. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, Planet on the Naval Stream lasts for the rest of that track five. It introduces the first of the big recurring hooks in Cassandra Gemini. No, there's no light in the darkest of your furthest reaches. And then when we get to uh, track six, we start the longest movement on the album, uh, Famine Pulse. Which is the coolest of these smashed together portmanteau words that they like to make. They do it's that a, a lot on a lot one. of their... Yeah. <laughs> I just like it. It's just good to me. What was and their last album called? Nocturnicat? Yeah, Nocturnicat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Antitexture, uh, Nocturne. They're big on it. Famine Pulse is like the longest movement on the record. It goes from around 4.46 in the full version to around the 22-minute mark. Right. And it takes up uh, tracks six through eight in their entireties on the Spotify version. I, I only cool listened it was just to one this. Track. <laughs> I only listened to this album twice before recording this. Um, but you were mentioning the 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 hook about no, there's no light, and that that is one of the sections of this track that I still can like remember, uh, like melody wise, just mm-hmm. because it's like just so good. <laughs> yeah. It's also the same melody as the hook from. Uh, the first track on the album, Visbin Cygnus, uh, uh, what is it? Like, who who do you trust? Feed us the womb, chrome the fetal mirage. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's all sure kind of the same is, yeah. melody. Yeah. yeah. Which is pretty cool. And then Famine Pulse introduces like the second big hook of this song, uh, which is sink your teeth into the flesh of midnight, night forevermore. It's so good. <laughs> really good. <laughs> it, it It is a little bit uh, like... People were really into um, people were really into like uh, kind of nocturnal fantasy type uh, stories in, in this time period. I feel like um, like there was a lot of uh, vampire movies coming out uh, and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, so I imagine that for a lot of teens, that that uh, section really kind of uh, vibed with how they were feeling at the time about their media habits. I I would bet money that there is some. Mars Volta fanfic on the internet where Cedric and Omar are both vampires who are in love with each other. Oh, that's very (laughs) true. I can confirm. I'm literally opening AO3 right now. (laughs) Something I loved about this whole, like, era of, like, you know, Mars Volta weren't, like, an emo, like, scene band, but, like, they were kind of adjacent to that whole thing. But, like, Fall Out Boy, My Chemical Romance, all those bands spawned, like, so much fanfic by, like, Mm -hmm. the teenage girls who were into them, which... I just love. <laughs> and now you can say that about literally any band. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I, I can guarantee you that there is uh it, there's still being written like Depeche Mode fanfic. 
I shout can out tell- to all the shout out to all the AV tear panda bear shippers. <laughs> I can tell you from my experience in the 2011 Yes fandom, there is Yes banned fan fiction, so God. <laughs> that's out there. We, oh, we do, I do know love that. we we do know that there is uh, still like a Kiss fandom on Tumblr. <laughs> yeah, the Kiss Army. Yeah. Of course, they're talking about their fucking talking about Kiss. was one of the first bands to have like a big fandom like that. Of course, they made their way to social media. Yeah, I woke up thinking about the band Kiss the post this morning. (laughs) It's a good post. (laughs) It's a good post. Uh, Uh, So, Pulse takes us. uh, One of the cool things I've always liked about Pulse is that it's like actually kind of the part of the album where we like actually see or hear about the backstory with Francis, like it's hard to kind of discern from the lyrics, but here Cedric really does start singing about like the priests murdering her and Elvia fleeing with Francis to the U S uh, with Visman to the U S mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think I, uh, Omar's guitar playing during the part where Elvia is fleeing is like some of my favorite on the album. He really does like go kind of casually nuts there. <laughs> Low key nutty with it. Yeah. And- like he's just like in the left <laughs> channel doing this like really cool thing. It's not like a solo or anything. He's just like, yeah, Really cool scene in the album's narrative. I'm yeah. going to, like, stretch out here a little bit. <laughs> he just does his spidery hands thing is what I always, I don't know, <laughs> mentally picture it. Uh, There's something very spidery about his guitar playing. Yeah. It frequently makes me feel like I'm being, like, covered in insects. <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> in a good way. Another thing I like about this this movement is that we also get a lot of Cedric just going ham on <laughs> vocals. He does, like, a sucks up his spit thing and... um. He just fucking goes for it. There's just so much that he does. This is this is the song with all of his best uh, pterodactyl shrieks on it. He just oh, kind of yeah. opens opens his throat to quote Noah Lennox and like really <laughs> lets it out there. He like turns into some kind of creature and, and yeah. he says "come" like <laughs> eight times. Yeah, and there's some real, even when he's, like, not saying cum, he's talking about cum. Like, 25 snakes pour out your eyes. I wonder what that's about. One thing that doing this podcast has taught me is that there's a lot more cum songs than you think. There's oh, a lot yeah. of ways people, to talk about cum. There's people a lot of say cum. all there's music is actually about cum. drugs, but it's all actually mm-hmm. about cum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Genius there's is wrong. We need supply. to make our own genius where we find the cum references in all the songs. <laughs> cum.genius. <laughs> Dot biz. <laughs> Come dot genius dot biz. Yeah. You could, ju- you could just call it penis. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We are, we are all hot air balloon made out of our own brains today. <laughs> right now, yeah. So yeah, Famine Pulse just kind of keeps going and going uh, until it gets to uh, the next movement, Multiple Spouse Wounds, which starts up on track nine, like the fifth part of Cassandra Gemini. Mm-hmm. And that is like the first half of that is kind of like an inst- extended instrumental jam. Mm-hmm. 
followed by a couple of like reprises of earlier sections of the song. It lasts from like around the 22 minute mark on the full version until around 31, 37. And it takes up tracks 9, 10, 11 on the Spotify and CD version. So that's very much just like, we don't need to sing it again. We're just going to evoke no. it with our, with our music. <laughs> yeah. And then like after the, after the instrumental part, they go back into the Night Forevermore hook from Famine Pulse. go back into the no there's no light refrain from plant nail the naval stream running back through of like motifs and stuff takes us all the way back to the first part of the album for that last movement of this song, the reprise of Sarcophagi. The ocean floor is hidden from your viewing lands A depth perception languished in the night All my life I've been so alone But the seeds that it like that that little song bookends the entire record i've always enjoyed that mm-hmm. i have been joined by uh my cat toff hi toff hey she's apparently really into uh the mars volta this is as what any she's... good cat is yeah mm-hmm. do you guys have like a recurring segment name for like when a when a cat shows up to your recording <laughs> segments <laughs> sessions the like, best part i feel Sometimes like that's Looker just matt's scream. entire thing because <laughs> looker and nanu are just always there yeah, they they love to be up in your shit when you're recording. It's a lot harder for me because um, anyone who's seen my mic setup knows that it's very imposing and very hard yeah. to get by. Um, whereas like Nanu and Looker will try to knock over Stephanie's microphone sometimes because it's a Yeti and you can just push it with their hand. It's podcasting. My, my mic is ensconced within a cube, so good fucking luck. <laughs> Met recording cube. It's my Mac that's, one of, that's one of my cube. least. That's one of my least favorite things to be ensconced within a cube. I hate that. <laughs> that sounds like a Mars Volta lyric. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Ensconced within a cube. <laughs> that's that's Cassandra Gemini though. Is that the longest song you guys have listened to for this podcast so far? Because I know you had Impossible Soul for Age of Odds, but that was only twenty five minutes. Yeah, this is longer than Impossible Soul, and yeah, I think I think that is. Sufjan Stevens, eat your heart out. Yeah, I think that's the only long. That's the longest song for sure. Because like otherwise, it's like like LCD Sound System has long songs in general, but not prog long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had Wham City on the Spider Man of the Rings episode. Yeah, that's twelve. Twelve. Yeah. The only song that I can think of that like isn't like an extended jazz piece or like an ambient drone track that's as long as this one or almost as long as it because it is like 
15 seconds shorter is uh, The Seer. That's Swan's track. Yeah. That one's only like 32.15 though or something, whereas I think this is like 32.30. Um, it's been years since I listened to that <laughs> album. I, I bet if you put it on, he would still see it all. <laughs> trying to remember how long... Um, oh, it's shorter. Um, Carnival 9 by Emerson, Lake, and Palmer is almost as long. But oh, yeah. Another band yeah. that was on that CDR that that, that bassist <laughs> gave me in high school. Are you sure you it wasn't just go? Roy? Did Roy it might have been me. me. It could have been. Do you play a five-string bass? I wish. <laughs> like, maybe maybe Roy created this character through astral projection. That's my tulpa. It's your tulpa. It's a Roy tulpa. Yeah. Um, you, you also... Uh, Separate from the the actual tracks that made it onto the album, uh, you wanted to quickly go over uh, the actual song Francis the Mute. Um, I didn't listen to this one, so I won't be able to contribute, uh, but um, I know you had stuff to say about it. actually don't have a ton to say because i haven't listened to it uh much either i like i've always known that it exists but i don't think it's like as good as the actual tracks on the album i could see potentially like swapping it out for miranda and not minding a lot but Mm -hmm. i wouldn't like it was originally supposed to be the opener and i definitely wouldn't prefer it opening the album over uh visman cygnus yeah i was gonna gonna ask where it falls narratively as (laughs) much as the album has like a narrative order to it they originally envisioned it as the opener. I think it would have been more interesting somewhere during the back half, almost like a flashback or something, because it is like a more specific telling of Francis's mur- Francis's murder. See, like and I it always- also has sarcophagi on it. Yeah, it kind of ends with a fade into sarcophagi that I think was originally going to turn into the big the version of sarcophagi that's at the beginning of right, uh, right, okay. Now, yeah, yeah, it that opens with sense. like. Yeah, it opens with like four minutes of just kind of a bell ringing and some ambient mm-hmm. noises, and then it goes into um, kind of a bop for about three or f- three minutes or so, three and a half minutes, and then uh, it's kind of more. Uh, I don't know. I, I I to be honest, I, I I'm not super into the rest of it. Um, it's kind of more. I mean, there's there's it's not super chill, but that's the closest thing word I can come up with for it, like relatively. And um, in relate like you know, in comparison to the to like most of Cygnus or what have you, just looking the, over the lyrics to it, it seems a lot more like direct about the murders of the twenty five. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's like a, an interesting thing I saw. <laughs> Real dark on, imagery on that. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting thing I saw on Reddit that was like um, the first movement of this of the of the title track is named thir- in thirteen seconds. Apparently, if you play the title track at thirteen seconds into the album on repeat. It coincides with parts of the full album, like the lyrics set foot inside the parlor lines up with the door opening and closing at the end of Visman Cygnus. The section huh. names in the single also line up with how many times it will play on repeat during the full album. There's six would swim. The song plays six times. Five would grow. The number of times it plays to completion and one was dead. The number of times the song would stop short. I've never like tried that, but interesting. I've never even heard that. Yeah. Wow. It's the it's the Wizard of Oz Dark Side of the Moon effect for the Mars Volta fans. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. 
a thing that I did a on uh, a thing that I did on junior prom nights and and never again. <laughs> playing a song over an entire album on repeat is very a Mars Volta fan thing to do. <laughs> Speaking of that, we should talk about Zyrica at some point. We are going to talk about Zyrica at some point, but it would be it would have one. It has to be another four host episode. Because you obviously have to have four people for that. And we have to record all of our audio separately. And then the episode is just all four of them playing on top of each other. Well, no, you would have to release to your podcast stream everybody's uh, audio tracks separately. And right, right, right. So people can set up the acoustics to put it on themselves. top of each other. Yeah, right. You have to you have can't... four stereos to play the soundtrack, to, to play the episode out of. We can't give them I'm a mix s- down. That's cheating. <laughs> I'm surprised Mars Volta never did any shit like that. That feels so up their alley. <laughs> it just continually blows my mind that there is a vinyl version of Zyrica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, f- assembling four, like, boom boxes isn't, like, an unmanageable feat for when that album came out. But having four record players each hook up to their own speakers is a bit much. Yeah. You have to you have to create an Evite. Invite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about the time period here. You have to create an Evite. You have to invite your friends who have their parents' old Sony turntable from the early 90s, which isn't great build quality. Or one of those shitty suitcase Crosleys. Yeah, yeah the Crosbys. <laughs> I'm, I'm just picturing four of those. That is really when they were taking <laughs> off, yeah. The, the suitcase Crosleys in the mid-2000s. Horrifying. <laughs> Everyone go to Target, bring $40, buy yourself a Crosley, just fucking do Zyrica. <laughs> My favorite thing about it is that um, the record store day release of Zyrica was sitting on the shelves for many, many months afterwards because no one wanted to fucking buy them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Eat shit, Wayne Coin. <laughs> yeah, Wayne Coin retire. <laughs> if only. Um, so, yeah, I'd say this bet, this album is a, a good bit better than a 2.0. Yeah. Personally, like in terms of, in terms of like scope and execution, at least I would give it a ten. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. it's it's very much just like it's obviously there's a, there's a there's a realm of like your own personal taste that's going to go into your music reviews, mm-hmm. and it just seems like why are you assigning in the guy who clearly doesn't like Prague to the Prague album? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. At I mean, the this very album least, least, right? They like didn't. they know they know to give all the emo to Ian Cohen now, so they've learned <laughs> something. At the very least, they didn't. Uh... They they didn't start putting out these reviews at the point where they could have, like, killed the Mars Volta's career. Yeah. Right, yeah. Like, the Mars Volta were doing fine. Francis the Mute did well, um, like, sales-wise, as was mentioned. Yeah. And this- I feel like the position that Pitchfork occupied in 2005 um, was very much the point where a negative Pitchfork review would probably give them more positive press. Mars Volta yeah. was, has always felt like a band that's existed in a different sphere than Pitchfork. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, I would never expect like a lot of Pitchfork readers at the time to be interested in the Mars Volta. That would be like a negative Pitchfork review killing like the Foo Fighters career or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like if like what if Jet what if Jet just didn't just never took off again in America after the Monkey Piss review? <laughs> yeah, like why were they even reviewing that stuff? I was going to say, it, it, it makes really it weird make that they obsessed over the Mars Volta so much if they were just going to keep doing this every time. Well, it's like every time they reviewed They Might Be Giants, they got bad reviews. Right. Although, like, it was very it was very weird, the albums that they chose to review. It was like one of the EPs, they reviewed Long Tall Weekend. Maybe they were having a slow week or something. Right? And then... <laughs> yeah. And Schreiber then the- was, like, comes into the office, Schreiber is like, 
All right, guys, we've been too positive lately. (laughs) (laughs) I know you guys are all feeling down about 9-11, so it's time to review Mink Car. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh. Anyway, really cool album, Francis the Mute. Uh, I think the last thing I wanted to say about it is that, like, I think it's really interesting how the issues that ended up marring the album's release, like specifically cutting up and mislabeling Cassandra Gemini in a way that left nobody really sure about which parts are which and where they actually start and stop. I think that only added to its mystique and ultimately led me to engage with this album a lot more than I probably would have mm-hmm. if it were just like all easily laid out, if there was no mystery to it. If I got really fact, into I, this album in my last FM days, I probably would have made my own version of it by like for sure. re, re-chopping the MP3s into the actual movements. And I might mm-hmm. actually just do that anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> because I have the ability to do that. It's you not have the, hard. And it, you have the organization of data brain. I do have that, the organization <laughs> of data brain. That is, this and now is the fandom is finally now the fandom is finally caught up to you too, Matt. Like back in the day, it might have been hard to do that, but now you have like fifteen years of this album being or like yeah, exactly. I, the research years. is done. I just need to do the work. It's, it's been done, and I think it's really cool actually that the way like the way Cassandra Gemini was butchered and the misinformation surrounding its different movements really mirrors the record's concept and requires the same kind of detective work we see Cygnus trying to do as he unravels the truth about his mother's death. Like now we got the real meta shit. Yeah. The ocean floor really is hidden from your viewing lens. You, you are never really going to get to the bottom of this shit. You know, the medium is the message. Marshall McLuhan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just according to Keikaku. <laughs> the the Pitchfork review of Francis the Mute is also, much like the album that it is about, the Dark Souls of music reviews. <laughs> I, I'm I'm scanning through it, and there's definitely some word choice here. Uh, it my, makes one of my it, other favorite quotes from it is when he's talking about Cassandra Gemini, and he says, "Smoke a bowl first if you need to, but nothing short of opium will convince me that there aren't more productive ways to spend 30 minutes trying to fell a redwood with a plastic spoon than listening to this beast." <laughs> it makes me think of like creative writing 101, ass. <laughs> yeah, th- this is how tiny mixtapes would re- would write reviews back in the day, like. They would put as many like vocabulary terms in as possible. Um, it, in one of the par- one of the paragraphs starts with uh, Cassandra Gemini. Ex- uh, uh, Cassandra Gemini approaches storytelling with the same breed of macabre circumlocution that pocked the band's debut. <laughs> macabre like, circumlocution okay. sounds like it could be a Mars Volta album title. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like Cir- my circum- my world's circum- largest jerk off motion. this is a two-hander jerked off in the comatorium (laughs) and what's interesting (laughs) what's interesting is that like we hate what a jerk off that uh pitchfork review is but i also feel like this album is in in its own way a huge jerk off and i love it for that oh yeah Yeah. but cedric is cranking the hog of our ears (laughs) (laughs) it's less about cranking the hog and more about how you crank it yeah, exactly. He's cranking a big brain-shaped hog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, his brain extends the whole the way down, and that's what he's cranking. Yeah. He he cranks the hog, and it inflates the hot air balloon. That's it. Yeah! <laughs> now we got it. Yeah. All right, we've done it. That's that's Francis the Mute. <laughs> All right, so I guess we'll move into those pluggables. Uh, I'm Roy. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at uh, Semper Funny. 
Uh, I do a podcast on noisepace.xyz, the network, with my fiance Fallon called Podcasting is Forbidden in the Cloud Recesses, where we talk about uh, Chinese media property Modazushi. Uh, it's pretty good. And that's what I do. I also You're on put HKIP names. Sometimes. I'm on HKIP sometimes. Uh, I also put together brackets of funny names. Oh, fuck uh, yeah. We do love <laughs> funny name bracket. We do love a funny name bracket. Yeah, hit, hit me with a couple of your favorites from this year. Uh, let me see. Um, well, Innocent Doodoo is always the number one fave. Um, <laughs> Martin Luther Warlock is very good. Um, Tom Salad was a favorite of mine from this most recent one. <laughs> Just the simplicity of it. We, of course, have the winner, Alien Rickman. Alien Rickman, yeah. And, and runner-up runner- Friendship King. Uh, no, the runner-up was uh, George W. Dipe. Oh, right, right. You just, you <laughs> have the, you have the, uh, I was looking at the pin tweet. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Friendship King was good. Uh, no. Demilurious economy. Demil- yeah, demilurious economy of the of the demil- of the economy family. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. So so follow Roy for for more of those uh, name brackets. Sure, there'll be a great one next year. Yeah, find Roy on Twitter at SemperFunny. Hell yes. Twitter Twitter unbans un- unban the fuck warlock challenge. Please unban fuck warlock. <laughs> Give me my life back. I'm Trevor. Uh, I've done a lot of podcasts, but I'm not currently doing any of them at the moment, so I'm not going to plug them. Uh, <laughs> but you can find me on Twitter at TRVRKRTH. Uh, and I do an online uh, radio show like every Saturday around 7 p.m. Uh, Pacific currently that you could tune in if you want to. Nobody else does, but hey, maybe you can. <laughs> Online radio is the only way to keep up, like, doing a radio show is the only way to keep up with music, so, like, you've inspired me to at least consider making my own Mixler account so I could do the same. You definitely should, Matt. I'd listen. Just, I'm at the point where, like, I'll download music and it's sitting in my downloads folder and I haven't opened iTunes in two months. <laughs> so, like, that's how behind I am. It's it's mm-hmm. it's a bit much. We're not opening Shoutcast links in Winamp anymore? No, like, <laughs> Shoutcast isn't cool anymore, which is depressing because wow. I love I Miranda. Love <laughs> Miranda Shoutcast just isn't cool anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should plug my other noise space show. I do uh, Giants confirmed with uh, my good buddy, uh, my good buddy Matt. My good so Matty Bud. My good Batty Mud. <laughs> <laughs> I ju- I just need to find a guest for the next one, and then we could do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should actually do. We'll talk about this off air. I think we should do the next one just you and me because it's like a not a real album, right? We got that's true. Uh, yeah, I think we should bring it back to like you know the close knit family style for the in betweeners. Yeah, I could do that basically any time. Cool. We'll figure it out not in the plug section of this podcast. Podcasting. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm, I'm mad. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got, I got there first. Oh shit. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am the the webmaster of noisespace.xyz the podcasting network which is rapidly approaching having 30 shows uh Hell yeah. yeah the only one that i update the, the, i don't update most of them regularly like elite full restores whenever i feel like doing an episode um field guide to canadiana is a running joke uh <laughs> tuning fork we are updating right now giants confirmed you've just heard and uh henry kissinger's pokemon going to the die pokemon going to the die <laughs> Um, is one I'm on rather regularly because no one wants to talk about the news because it's depressing. It's bad. It's really bad for everyone. Yeah. It's but you know, I thought you were gonna go. Fun. I thought you were going towards saying it's bad forever, which is also accurate. It's also true. Um, <laughs> but you know, 
I, I have an uncontrollable urge to post, and podcasting is just one form of posting. <laughs> it's vocally posting. It's vocally posting. Uh, I'm David. Um, you can find me here on Tuning Fork, as well as another noise space podcast called The Stick, uh, which I do with uh, guest hosts every once in a while. It's a Homestar Runner podcast. Our more our most recent episode is about Trogdor specifically, uh, and we had uh, Bran from New Nintendo Podcast XL on as a guest to talk about uh, the Burninator. Such and, a good uh, title of a podcast. Yes, it's the perfect it's the perfect podcast title. <laughs> and I also uh, make music, uh, chip tunes, and synth pop as spinning voices you can find that at spinningvoices.bandcamp.com new album soon hashtag hell soon. yes hell yes uh roy knows a thing or two about that i do know a thing or two about that um yeah so be on the lookout for that one um and as we always say oh wait we as we always say let's thank our <laughs> let's thank the person who did the theme music uh Animal Style, Open Air. That's the theme music for this podcast. And the show art is by Nikki Flowers. Go find uh, Nikki at, at Yif Police on Twitter and Nikki Flowers on Bandcamp. And Re- recently, as we featured, say, uh, recently featured on Bandcamp for the Smiths, which is super exciting. Oh, yeah. They, they did yeah. a uh, an album of synth pop Smiths covers just to spite <laughs> Morrissey, who hates synthesizers. <laughs> and it's very good. <laughs> Fuck yes. Now, as we always say, I had never seen a shooting star before. I'd never seen a shooting star before. I'd never seen a shooting star before. I'd never seen a shooting star before. Mm-hmm.